good morning. Again, a warm welcome. I'm James, one of the pastors here at Kingswood, and we're so glad to have you at Kingswood where we seek to love God, serve others, and build sacred community as followers of Christ. We're so glad you're here. And again, we offer a warm welcome to our guests, and we hope that if you haven't checked in at the Guest Center, the Welcome Center, you'll do that after the service today. For our online audience, we extend a warm welcome to you wherever you are, and we especially welcome our guests wherever you are in the world. And for those of you here local, it looks like the sun is out, so afterwards today when we have our fellowship time, you'll have the option both to go to Activity Center and or out front uh, for wherever you feel comfortable, but it'll be a wonderful time of being together. Amen? Amen. Today we conclude our sermon series, uh, Plug In, Turn On, and Shine, oh wow, you've got to get some energy in here, and Shine Bright. And we've been talking over these last three weeks, how do we live out Christ's call, Jesus' call on our lives in this congregation, in this community, in this world at this time? Two weeks ago, we talked about plugging in to the gift of Jesus, his saving power in our lives, and being connected to his ultimate call and salvation call to our life. And then last week, we talked about turning on and turning on the power of the Holy Spirit and beginning to discern where God is calling us both individually and corporately or as a body of Christ or as a congregation. Today, I want to talk about what it means to shine bright. What does it mean to go to that next step of living our faith in Jesus as this congregation, each of you individually and each of us together in serving God's people and loving God and building sacred community. Several years ago, uh, I had a group of people over to my house, a book group of other clergy, and we were reading a book and studying it together, and I had put out some snacks on the uh, bar, and I had some drinks, and we began to sit down, and I turned on a few lights because it was one of those winter days, you know, where at 4 o'clock the sun sets. Do you remember that? It's coming. I hate to tell you that, right? So enjoy today. And uh, uh, one of my friends said, uh, can you just turn the light up a little bit? I mean, it's, it's a little dark in here. And I said, well, this is all I got. I mean, and so I flipped, you know, made sure the lamps were on and so forth. And so this one lamp, which is at a, a coffee table or kind of an end table between two chairs, my friend said, um, this one's really dim. Can you not, is it not a three-way? And I said, what? And she said, have, have you ever put a three-way bulb in this lamp? And I said, What? And she said, what about a three-way bulb? And I thought, boy, pretty bold. You're a guest in my house, and you're asking to change my light bulbs, right? But, you know, I went into the closet, pulled out the bin, and luckily, there was an LED three-way dimmable bulb, right? God provides, amen? So I, here we are in front of everybody. Took it out, put it in, turned it on. Let's see. She said, click again. See? See? And then all of a sudden, the room was filled with light. I know, I'm not very smart. That's Okay. <laughs> The point is, the light just really radiated in the room. And it reminded me that sometimes we get focused and we can't see what could be, right? We can't see how things could even be better or broader or bigger than the dream we think is enough, right? Today's two passages challenge us to look at ministry beyond what we can imagine. You'll remember that just about a year ago, a little under a year ago, we approved as a church at our all-church conference a vision plan. Now, our mission statement remained the same. Love God, serve others, build sacred community as followers of Jesus or Christ, the anointed. 
And you'll remember we have five core values which we talked about last year, worshiping, growing, serving, connecting, and welcoming, right? I know, those are a little less memorized, right? But today I want to talk about the four priorities. You probably know them. You probably have them written on a card next to your bed or you put them on the mirror in your bathroom or maybe you've got a tattoo and they're right here. I don't know. But I, I try to keep these before us. And it's not because these are things we have to do, but what the vision team and the church believe is that God is calling us to these four priorities. It's almost calling us to shine more brightly than ever before. And in this world today... Don't we need to shine more brightly? Amen? Amen. The first one is excel, excel, let's say that word together, excel at deepening relationships with God and one another. That we would be committed to deepening our relationship with God through more profound experiences of worship and growing and spiritual formation, but we would also deepen our relationships with one another. It's been interesting during the pandemic, I visited with a few people this week we have, we have some new folks here, and people say, I don't know them. And I said, well, you can introduce yourself to them, amen? Well, what about the mask? What about the mask, right? Part of it is we have to continually be deepening and connecting with people to build relationships. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you know your neighbors in your neighborhood? How many of you know who lives across the hall or next door or down the street? And how well do you know them? And I know it's harder now, Amen. But do we really know one another? And do we know each other deeply, right? You may know who I am and where I'm from, but do you know what I have passion for? Do you know what I'm looking for? Do you know what I think is important in life? And not that we have to be everybody's best friend, amen, but we should know each other more deeply in the church. The second one, strengthen, let's say that word together, strengthen and support a vibrant and engaging youth and children's ministry. We've always had youth and children's ministry here, and it's always been good and amazing and vibrant, and we're grateful to all who've made it possible over the years. But in this age, at this time, we believe that we are being called by God to strengthen and support that ministry even more so, to make it a priority among priorities, that reaching families with children and families with youth and making a difference in those children and youth's lives is critical. It's what Jesus calls us to do. We're grateful to Clayton and Jen and many of you for that, but strengthening our youth and children's ministry. And then three, offer. Let's say that together. Offer. Offer multiple, flexible, and meaningful opportunities to encounter and engage with God. We love our worship services and our current small groups and events. Those are important. Amen? But what would it mean for us to think about other opportunities for worship, other opportunities for engaging with one another in God, and other opportunities for growing in Christ? What, what is God calling us to? What are some new things that we can do? What new possibilities lie before us, both within the building, online, and in our community? And finally, create. create. Continually create new, relevant, and vibrant, and innovative opportunities to serve people. We have some amazing serving ministries in our food pantry, our pads ministry, our medical lending closet, our thrift store. Those are all important. Amen? We have Meals on Wheels and we're collecting school supplies. But are there other opportunities to serve people and change the world that we have forgotten or cannot see or need to be open to? Amen? So I want to lift up these two passages briefly and I want you to think about them deeply. One of them is the passage that we read from Mark, chapter 10. 
And I won't reread it again as Gary read it so beautifully, but this passage in some form exists in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Mark's is more in-depth. Mark's offers a lot more about what Jesus is asking. And it's interesting. You know the story. Jesus has been gathered with his disciples. Uh, they've, they've been in some conflicts. They've been in some healing. They're trying to figure things out. He just does an instructive piece on divorce and marriage. And then because of all of his popularity, people are bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them or encounter them. And it's interesting, right? In just chapter 9 before, Jesus has seen the disciples arguing, his followers arguing over who's going to be greatest, who's going to be in charge, who's going to get the glory, who's going to have their face on the Facebook page. You know what I'm saying? And he calls a little child in their midst and says, unless you're like this child, you miss the kingdom of God, right? So they've already had this instruction, amen? So they're bringing children to Jesus. And the disciples say, get them away. In fact, they sternly order the parents or the grandparents or whoever's bringing them to leave. We don't allow children in this room. We don't eat popsicles in the fireside room. You know what I'm saying? It's that kind of thing, right? And they want the children out. And Jesus saw this and he was indignant. It's the only place in all of Mark and most of Scripture where we find Jesus is indignant. It's not a word we use very often, but it's anger based on injustice. It's a deep anger that someone is doing something that is unjust to others. Jesus was indignant. Jesus was angry. Jesus was mad at his very followers. And he says to them, let the little children come to me. The old ancient word is suffer the little children unto me. But it's really let the children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. You see, he goes right back to that earlier example. If you want to encounter the kingdom of God, if you want to encounter God at God's fullest and most amazing potential, children are the answer. Amen? Children are the example. Children point us to the kingdom of God. And then he says, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom as a little child will never enter it. It's interesting that we have to be childlike, maybe even a bit innocent. Maybe we surrender our power. Maybe we're more gracious to one another. Maybe we're less volatile or nasty or anxious. But maybe like children, we see the potential and we don't allow the barriers of our past and our history and our hurts and our trauma to get in the way. And then it says, Jesus took the children into his arms laid hands on them, and blessed them. Now, what I like is the, the uh, new English translation, he grabbed them and hugged them and squeezed them tight, and he blessed them. He gave them blessing. Jesus stood against a culture, because in the ancient world, children had no value, Amen. Children were at the bottom of the economic, uh, and you might have had grandparents or parents, or maybe you're this person, children are going to be seen not... Jesus says, wrong. Jesus says, children and youth are essential and central to our experience as the body of Christ. And remember, the stories of Jesus are written down by followers like Mark for the church, right? This is a hard word. Those disciples, they represent the church. 
which says that the church, even in its earliest beginnings, often got tempted to say children are not central to our life. We need to do something else. And Jesus' stories remind us again, children and youth are critical to our future. But they're also critical to our now. And they our children are part of our reality now. So it's important for us to think about ministry with and for children and youth. It's important for us to make that a priority. And I love that one of the priorities is strengthening and, and building our children and youth ministry and make it essential and central to our life together. They're great examples of it, right? Our vacation Bible school, over 50 children, many from the neighborhood. If you're here Tuesday through Friday, you know, just our parents stay out. Most of those children, of which there are almost 40, are not from this congregation. Could we get an amen? Really, what an amazing thing. And the rebuilding of our Sunday school in the midst of a pandemic, outside activities and so forth. But I think about going even more deeply. How can we connect with children? I think about my nephew who never really fit in and he had a a difficult place uh, growing up in elementary school and his pastor, Christy Robinson, I'll never forget her, she realized he had the gift from memorizing things, right? And so my nephew could memorize almost anything and he knew everything about dinosaurs that you could imagine, right? But she took that gift and she met with him and she asked him to memorize scripture and you know what? He did. And ultimately what he did is that he would memorize the scripture and recite it in worship as a part of their life together. Do you know what purpose that gave him? And Pastor Christie was right on board. She took the time to see the potential to bring the children to us. I think of a pastor I know in a city in our annual conference in northern Illinois who was working one day and as he looked out his window, the skateboarders were skating off the church steps and rails and And his first response was my response, right? They need to stop that. So he did it several times. He said, you guys need to quit. You can't do this. You can't be here. And they did, right? But inevitably, they always came back, right? One night, he had parked on the other side of the building because he was unloading something. And as he sat in his office and looked out, there they were, skating right off the steps. And he said, I just don't know what to do. And he got this idea why don't you just go out and talk to them? So as soon as he opened the door, of course, they said, Pastor, we're leaving. We're sorry, Pastor. We will we'll be out of here, right? He said, don't leave. Do you need a drink of water? Do you want to use the bathroom? And it was like, they, what? And inevitably, he brought out some Cokes and some popsicles out of the church kitchen, and he got to know them, and then he just left them. And inevitably, he began to know them, and inevitably, about half of them joined the youth group. Because instead of creating a barrier, he opened a door. Amen? Amen. The second passage is a long story, and I encourage you today during the rainstorm at 4.30 this afternoon when the thunder is rolling to take time to turn to John, the fourth gospel, chapter 4. In it is a woman, a Samaritan woman, and you know about Samaritans, amen, part of that northern kingdom that had broken off, intermarried, Uh, The Judeans, the Jewish folks in the southern kingdom said they weren't worthy, they weren't godly, they were evil, right? Jesus is returning from Jerusalem back to Galilee, and when you go, most Jews would go around Samaria, but according to scripture, Jesus felt like he had to go through Samaria. 
So he does. He ends up at an ancient well, Jacob's well. I know you know all about it. It's the well that he gave to Joseph. It's where many of the ancient patriarchs and matriarchs met and built their relationships. People had been watering their animals there. It's a pretty deep well. And he goes there and his disciples, he sends them in to go to Jewel and get some snacks and lunch. And he sits by the well just to take a break. And a woman comes during the middle of the day with her jar to gather water. Now friends, you know what it's like yesterday at noon, it's pretty hot, right? So if you're going to the well, it's probably better to go late in the afternoon or early in the morning. So why would she be here? Probably because she doesn't want to be seen. The woman sees him, and the man, Jesus says to her, give me a drink, and she knows he's a Jew, and she is a Samaritan, and Samaritans and Jews don't get along, and she's detested, and she probably has some reasons for being there in the middle of the day, and she is shocked that he asks her, to give him a drink. Ultimately, they get into a discourse, right? They have a conversation. It's the longest conversation in the New Testament. Isn't that fascinating? That Jesus' longest conversation with somebody is with somebody who's on the margins, on the outside, who doesn't belong, is not central to the story, but Jesus has the longest conversation with her. And I encourage you to read the story because there's a lot about her and her past and her five husbands, her current non-husband, and Jesus knows all that, and there's not a lot of judgment or a lot of, you know, here, read this tract, or you're going to burn in hell for an eternity, right? Right? He just has a conversation. Do you know what ultimately happens with this woman? She is so touched by him, she acknowledges that he's the Messiah, the Jewish word for anointed, like oil poured over, much like kings that are anointed. Or as we translate in Greek, Christos, or the Christ. And from her own experience, she acknowledges who he is and that he knows everything about her. And she journeys back into Sychar, that village nearby. And this woman who's been kind of quiet and coming at midday and doesn't want to talk to anybody goes to the Starbucks, bursts in the doors and said, let me tell you about this guy who knows me, everything, every bit about me. And people are saying, isn't that, you know, you can name it. What is she doing here? What do you mean he knows everything about you? And I don't know what she says we don't know, but she says everything. And do you know what happens? They believe. In fact, they follow her back to the well, and there they encounter Jesus. And ultimately they say to her, we believe first because of your testimony, but now we believe because we've encountered the living Christ. Now who do you think is unhappy about all that? Those disciples. When they come back from Jewel, and see Jesus talking to a woman, Scripture says they are shocked. And they start mumbling and saying what's going on and so forth. Again, just like the children, right? It's the same thing. And remember, sometimes the disciples equals the, let's say it louder, friends, I don't know you want to, it equals the church. Sometimes the church is too busy with its boundaries and its understandings of people and its judgment that it can't see the potential for having a conversation that will forever change a person's life and inevitably change the world. So when we hear these priorities of new opportunities to serve and new places of engaging God and new places of engaging others, these two stories speak deeply into our lives. Plug in. Turn on. Shine bright. How will we shine bright in this new world that continues to change every day and emerge differently every morning 
and continue to experience the pain and injustice and brokenness that we see every day. How will we shine bright? And I pray that you're praying and seeking that opportunity.